Hey, everybody, it's Steven Schleicher. I'm asking for your help for something very important for our good friend, Rodrigo Lopez. Rodrigo has written a book. Rodrigo, you've written a book. I did. I wrote a book, man. It's called The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. What is what is Tale of Tallest Rabbit about? Is it about rabbits, right? Uh, partially about rabbits, yes. Um, the Tale of Tallest Rabbit is actually the story of a uh, young girl named Monique who finds herself surrounded by talking rabbits. And because of the way she wears her hair and because rabbits are not very smart, they just assume she's a rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is this is total fantasy world, right? It is. It, it's all yes. one story. Uh, it's actually it's one overarching story and has a lot of smaller short stories as kind of we learn what this world is about. And actually, um, basically, storytelling saves the day more than once. Ooh, awesome! So this is a this is a book for anybody, or is this for like older adults, or is this for young kids, or? Uh, this is a book, uh, as far as reading level, I would say eight and up, but okay. this is a book that um, if you read it to a younger child, I think they would greatly enjoy. Also, I think, you know, there's a, uh, I've shown this book to a lot of people and most of them are people who are 20 years old and up. Um, most of the people that have read any of the book and they all seem to really like it. I think there's a lot here for adults. You know, as far as, mm -hmm. you know, structure and kind of a few references and things like that. OK, so here's where we need our listeners help. This book, The Tale of Tallest Rabbit by Rodrigo Lopez, comes out on January 12, 2016. Now, that may be in a couple of weeks or it may be tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this uh, uh, release. But what we want you to do is we want you to head to Amazon.com on January 12th and order The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. Here's why we want you to do it on January 12th. A million of you all go in on January 12th and you buy this book. What will happen is Rodrigo's book will skyrocket in the selling list. And the higher it gets up on that list, the more people will see that, the more people will buy the book. And that will encourage Rodrigo to write even more books. Is that right, Rodrigo? And that is correct. Look, if you have enjoyed Rodrigo's storytelling in... Top five, if you've enjoyed his stories in Critical Hit, if you've just enjoyed his general stories overall, I think you uh, will enjoy The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. It looks like a lot of fun, and, and we want you to help out by buying this book on January 12th, 2016 at Amazon.com. You can get it in two formats, right, Rodrigo? That's right. You can get a physical copy for about 13 bucks and you can get a um, or you can just get the PDF or, or the Kindle version for about five bucks. Also, I'm pretty sure it's going to be available at least in Europe, um, but I have to like check some toggles and stuff uh, to see if it'll be available in other regions as well. Worldwide. Come on, everybody. Let's help out Rodrigo. Go buy The Tale of Tallest Rabbit. It's coming out on January 12, 2016. Head over to Amazon on that day. Mark your calendars now. Buy the book. Make Rodrigo even more famous than he is. Let's encourage him to, to write some more books. Let's game the system a little bit over at Amazon. We've learned this from our good friends Brian Brushwood and Justin Robert Young. With your help, we can do it. And uh, we can see the Tale of Tallest Rabbit up there in the uh, top 10 list, hopefully. Sounds good. Come on, listeners, help us out. Thank you so much for your time. Rodrigo, anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, pick it up, read it, enjoy it, uh, rate it. And uh, definitely, uh, if you like it, uh, Fearsome Critter on Twitter mm -hmm. or uh, Magic Turtle on Tumblr. Let me know what you think. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. 
Thank you so much for your time. Good luck, Rodrigo. Let's send this book to number one. Comic Bento is the original graphic novel subscription box. Each Comic Bento contains the at least $50 worth of surprise graphic novels from both the biggest creators in comics and the unsung indie heroes. Plans start as low as $17.50 a month, plus shipping and handling, and brings you a new theme each month with a new graphic novel to go along with it. Head over to www.comicbento.com to check out pricing, unboxing videos, and a whole lot more. Subscribers can use the promo code SPOILERS, that's SPOILERS in all caps, to save $5 off all new subscriptions. This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Ashley. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, boldly going where no one but the lawyers have gone before, the movies of 2016, plus we go into the woods, but look out for monstrous monsters, plus our usual spate of reviews, news, our opinions on the whole thingama, and our kick-butt poll of the week. Set your phasers on stunning and get ready to make it so, because the Major Spoilers podcast has gone plaid! Welcome to issue 658 of the Major Spoilers podcast. Thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening. Thank you for everyone who's using that Amazon link at Major Spoilers. Holy cow, we appreciate everyone who uses that because everything you buy through that link, a little bit comes back our way and helps us do shows like this and allows us to bring in such great people as Matthew and Ashley. Yeah. Welcome, guys. Ashley is back after her long uh, break. Hope you had a good (laughs) holiday. My saga across the Midwest. So, no, the soggy <laughs> Your Midwest. Your tweets were were so heartbreaking for a while there. Oklahoma. Oh, well, yeah. yes. I mean, that's all you really. Oklahoma. That's all you have to say is Oklahoma. And yes, we feel your pain. Yeah. No offense uh, to anyone who lives in Oklahoma. <laughs> no, it's okay. We're from Kansas. I mean, yeah, we can make fun of Oklahoma. And now you're stuck in the soggy Southern California wastes. With all the rain it, that you're getting. It's great. El Nino, the bringer of water from the sky. I, I, I didn't saw realize that. it's such a thing. <laughs> I saw that, right? Isn't, it is pretty great. And isn't rain nice? Rain is supposed to be nice. Yeah. It's, I'll take it. It's nice. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. They're like in the midst of a 70 zillion year drought out there, I think. Mm-hmm. R- Rodrigo, well, most of the country is in the middle of a 70 million year drought. Uh, Rodrigo is still in transit <laughs> from one half of the country to the other side of the country. So he'll be right back now, next he's week. Probably on a shuttle at an airport somewhere in the Midwest. Maybe. If you see him, wave and ask him uh, if he knows where Matthew is. There you go. Uh, this week, I wanted to spend our news segment talking about a big thing that came up at the end of last week uh, mm-hmm. and over the weekend, right into the first of the new year. And that is this Star Trek fan film, Axanar, which is being sued by Paramount Pictures, which is the head company of CBS. 
Uh, Loeb and Loeb is the company that is the lawyers that uh, are representing Paramount. And they're suing this fan film, sending them a cease and desist. And there's been a lot of discussion, a lot of reporting on this at sites like Deadline and Bleeding Cool and io9. All the places are just basically uh, repeating themselves. But I thought it might be interesting to go a little bit more in depth and talk about some of the things that are questionable, some things about why, because... You know, there are a lot of Star Trek fan films out there. There are whole series based around uh, Star Trek. In fact, Ashley Victoria Robinson, you do a Star Trek fan film series. Wait, what? Yeah. And oh, my God. <laughs> oh, that's what I've been doing all this time. I got to say, <laughs> your most recent one, the one that came out this week. Oh, my God. Superb acting on your part. <laughs> that was fun. Yes. That's my drag persona. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, the fact that your evil twin turns out to be super sweet. That's that's the best part of it all. Yeah, I know. Yeah, right? That was Jason Inman's <laughs> idea, so that probably tells you something. <laughs> that that was really cool. So basically, uh, I don't want to talk about Axanar really. You know, uh, we'll kind of touch on it in, in broad strokes, mm-hmm. but we don't want to go in and talk specifically about people involved or anything like that. Um, although I will say, if you go out and say in public that you're fan film is going to be better than the last two movies. Mm-hmm. I think you're painting a target on your back. That that's Maybe. one thing I will say. Yeah, definitely. The, <laughs> let me ask, let me the, just, let's start. Well, go ahead, Matthew. The, the thing about this type of, of endeavor is that they kind of do exist at, at the whim of the IP rights holder. And that, and that's just, and that's not just anger that person. That's just persons. not Axanar. That's every fan film, whether it be a yep. Batgirl fan film that's out there or whether it be uh, Firefly or Bugs Bunny. You yep. do this <laughs> stuff and people can and the IP owners can come and sue you. And it's totally within their right to do that. Mm-hmm. So why then has Paramount CBS allowed other shows like. Star Trek Phase 2 and Renegade and all of these others, how come we've been able to get some really good Star Trek stuff from them and they've never been shut down? Ashley, do you have some ideas on that? Um, well, my idea comes from stuff that I knew, you know, before the lawsuit. And then when you look at the first line of their CBS and Paramount's public statement, and then if you go in and read the lawsuit, they state that, you know, this particular production made over a million dollars. And I think that when you're a giant production company, if you're Little production makes $10,000, $20,000. Like, that's cute. But when you make a million dollars, that's a significant amount of money that could have gone toward funding beyond, that could have gone toward the new show. And I think that's the main thing that would take them onto the radar away from, okay, they're on our watch list to we legitimately have to do something about it. So mm-hmm. let me ask you this, because I want to I focus on this money a little bit, but it also goes back into the concept of fan films in general. Mm-hmm. Yes, million. I know that there were, I saw at least two of the campaigns, the Indiegogo and the Kickstarter campaign. Ashley, you said there was a third campaign that they had. I think they, I believe they did two Kickstarters and an Indiegogo, but I could be wrong. Okay. So Kickstarter, you kind of have to fulfill your stuff or you have to give the money back. Indiegogo. Uh, Indiegogo as well. Oh, you um, do because of that. Okay. Because of that video game. Ah, um, right, right, right. Or that, that board game from New Jersey. And, and so because of that, because Kickstarter and Indiegogo, I believe, have both been sued. There is a clause in there now that if you are doing a product and you do not fulfill it, whether that's a film, whether that's a new baseball, a, a game, whatever, mm-hmm. your backers can come after you. So, I mean, Axanar is now under a cease and desist. They cannot produce anything else. They're actually supposed to take down everything that they have out so far. 
Um, so if a bunch of their fans were of the same mind, if Axanar never comes out, they could be looking at a second, third, and fourth lawsuit. Yeah, which is going to be a little bit more interesting. But I guess the thing oh. is, we can either say, hey, that $1.1 million should have come to us, CBS Paramount, so we could do this new ongoing television show or we could put it into Star Trek Beyond or whatever. Or maybe you could have looked at it a better way saying, hey, that money's being spent locally. These people that we would probably employ in a couple of months for our Star Trek project are currently getting work now. And isn't that good for the industry? I don't know. That's that's tough. It comes down to the IP. and Right. I mean, that's what it all comes down to is the IP. Don't. But see, but that's where it's, also- it's, for me, it's so frustrating because, I mean, and I've got a bigger statement on found films, but it is frustrating because we do see other Star Trek fan films series that have included mm-hmm. original cast members from many of the Star Trek shows right? Mm-hmm. that have been, hey, hands off, go ahead and do whatever you want. And these have become fairly high profile. And then Axanar comes along and they're like, hey, we're going to sue you. And if it is just the money thing, I can understand is, the money thing. I will is this the first though, one? Sorry, go ahead. Um, Axanar does sell a lot of merchandise. Mm. Um, whereas mm. continues phase two renegades don't sell merchandise is this the first one to do crowdfunding where backers get a copy of the finished product no they actually don't get a copy it's all supposed to be digital distribution Mm -hmm. but if you think about you know those those sort of unspoken rules you can't sell the movie you make if you're doing a fan film right how is me donating 25 dollars and getting a digital copy of that made film not the same as you selling me a copy of the film. Well, because it is supposed to be released into the wild, very much like Red Shirt Diaries is put up on YouTube right. for everyone to enjoy okay. for free, whether you are a backer you or not. And also torrent it because someone made an illegal torrent. I know, it. like almost <laughs> Even right it's away. Free. It's right. free. Which is <laughs> crazy. Well, they just wanted to have it all in one place. I guess. Uh, okay, so beyond, hey, we're getting people work and we're making something that, that people like. <laughs> the question of profit is a big deal, is, a, is another big talking point, because as um, as the producer of Axanar and many people who are doing fan films, especially after the Sandy Cholera thing uh, 10 years ago with Batman Dead End, um, basically they're putting into their films, we are making no money on this. We're doing this for the love of the thing. We are not mm. making a profit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Where is that line crossed? Is, as Ashley said, $10,000 not worth it? 500,000, obviously 1.1 million dollars is that. But I don't what, know. I I would I would argue the point where you're paying people salaries. Ah, okay. That's that's good. I mean, um you can't really it, it can't be a money-making enterprise and so that's that the business. That's the yeah. other and then, uh, That's the other thing that's interesting. Go ahead, Ashley. Well, I was going to say then it becomes a thing where if you're building an entire business off of somebody else's intellectual property, I mean, yeah. The analogy that I would make is that you're building, you know, you're building your movie studio on Paramount's lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? You're parking your trailer in someone else's yard. And, and mm-hmm. I don't want to I don't want to paint you into a corner, Ashley, or, or do anything to, you know, shine a spotlight on you. But have you profited from Richard Diaries? Uh, we've we lost. We've lost money. Okay, but, but, but so here's the thing. Let's not talk about money. 
when when you know let's let's use Sandy Collar as an example. Does everybody know Sandy Collar and his Batman Dead End and his Superman Batman World's Finest trailers and mm-hmm. the controversy that basically caused San Diego Comic Con to stop showing fan films? Mm-hmm. He one could argue that he has profited from that movie that he gave away for free. He's gotten directing jobs. He's gotten um, uh, other jobs based on the work that was in that film. We'll right. see. And then there's the tricky thing is, but how can you quantify something like that? Right. You know? I mean, but I don't know. That's when, an when someone question. says we can't profit, unfortunately, people all the time are profiting from fan films because it is a calling card to either allow them to do additional work mm-hmm. or to get jobs true. or to sell a product later on that may or may not be tied back into your original product. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's I mean, I mean, you know, hey, great. I'm glad that Red Shirts of Diaries is as successful as it is. I'm sorry that you lost money on the project, but I'm I mean, glad you just, that... You could never have enough money. <laughs> no, I know. But, yeah. you know, if it wasn't for Red Shirt Diaries, you and Jason would not have done that very cool Star Trek auction thing. Uh, that's true. You would not have I... been, uh, you know, chased down at Star Trek conventions to have people take their picture with you. No, that's true. And that I mean, that could definitely be seen as profit. Mm-hmm. But I think that Within the legal system, it yeah. comes down more to hard cash. Yeah, I, I know, but I'm just trying to be a devil's advocate here and no, trying to make sure. people think beyond just this make, dollar. That's thing. why people make fan films because you have your built-in audience. Well, well, and there's there's ahead, also Matthew. the question of self-description. They go out of their way specifically to say we're not making a fan film. We are fully professional, independent studio making an independent Star Trek film. I mean, they've kind of called themselves out as no, we're not doing. The fan, fan film, film as you understand it, 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 when you try and redefine something like that, the copyright holder does have mm-hmm. a responsibility to challenge copyright issues or else the next time it happens, if somebody is even more bold, they can actually lose their copyright. Yeah, they can, you, can lose your, you can lose your rights to yeah. that. The in- if, interesting if, thing if is – it can be proven that you've, that you've let this happen in the, in the future. So you have to look at it from the perspective of – from Paramount's perspective, when you stand up and say, well, we're not just doing a fan film, that's going to get somebody's attention. That's going to raise that radar a little bit. True. But and again, I'm not trying to defend Axnar. I'm just trying to present a bunch of ideas right. so that we can discuss them. I'm not saying one way is good or the other, as mm-hmm. you will find out here in a moment. But uh, the people of Axnar are like, look, we're not using I think they are using Enterprise a little bit too much. They are using uh, Soval, who was in Enterprise. Was it Enterprise? Yeah. yeah, in Enterprise. They're using what's his name? Garrick who was a character that was mentioned in one line in one original Star Trek episode 50 years ago. And the rest, they're trying to stay, they're not using anything that's uniform related. Uh, they're not trying to use words that say Star Trek. In fact, all of their artwork and everything doesn't say Star Trek in it. They're trying to stay away from that. But they're mm. wanting to help build on to this expanded universe of what Star Trek has become over the years. Mm. My question is, does this lawsuit then end up quashing creativity? Does this tell people to stop making fan films? First of all, the first question, is this quashing so. creativity? No. Okay. Why not? Because, well, here's the thing. When you create a specific uh, project that you're coming up with, for instance, um, and this is a, a similar example, and it had similar problems. If you look at the well-regarded 1980s comic book series Miracle Man. Right. M- Miracle Man is derived from Marvel Man, which is derived from Captain Marvel. 
the reason that Miracle Man exists is because in 1953, Fawcett Comics was like, we're not making comics anymore. The people who were selling them in Britain went, okay, well, it's not Captain Marvel. It's now Marvel Man. And that was legally acceptable because it wasn't Captain Marvel. They weren't using the Captain Marvel trademarks. Clearly similar stories in a very similar vein, telling the same sort of tales with the same creators, just keeping on what they're doing. If you say you can't make this and have it be in the Star Trek universe, you can still be creative. You can still make your thing. And at that point, you can actually go out of your way to say, well, this is a world that will remind you a bit of Star Trek, but it is clearly not Star Trek and is legally distinct. I mean, how many of the things that we know and love are clearly derived from something else? Well, if I you mean, look at you know television and you look at movies and you look at all these things, this is clearly something that was inspired by mm-hmm. Star Trek. Well, I mean, or even, inspired by your Battlestar Galactica. I believe in the complaint that was filed, they talk about how Star Trek has had a huge history of contributing to society in the form of our technology today, and as people are trying to create things like cell phones and you know uh, Bluetooth, all that stuff. Ashley, is this is this quashing creativity from from creators who make fan films uh, i'll have you I answer d- that question and i'll go on to the next part um here. i i don't think so i think anytime you choose to do a fan film you also go in with the knowledge that hey if i get a cease and desist order well then that's it i mean that's you know that's the condition that comes when you're when you're trying to play in someone else's sandbox mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i mean i just saw like i just saw a kickstarter for a new red hood fan film today so yeah and the- it's not going anywhere <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, um, what is it? Midnight? What is it? Bat in the Sun, that group uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. who does stuff that a lot of it shows up on Machinima. They do those fight battle things. They never yeah. had a problem. They had Batman fighting Darth Vader. They had Wolverine fighting Batman. They had Deadpool fighting Batman. They try to get Ashley Williams in there. And uh, yeah. boy, suddenly Legendary comes out and says, oh, no, you guys can't do a Evil Dead thing. And so that yeah, got stopped. That's- but that's the thing too. It's it's that's the thing about fan film. Like you step too close, they'll I've, probably bite back. Because yeah. if you're small enough, like they won't even know who you are. I mean, mm-hmm. so that's you know that's the battle as well. I like this idea of participatory culture. We've talked about it before on the show. I talked about it a lot when I was doing the Star Wars class uh, a mm-hmm. couple of semesters ago. Participatory culture is this notion that we as a culture feel like we're more involved in the things around us when we're able to provide feedback, show our our fandom for something in some kind of what we consider meaningful way. Um, whether that be creating something like the concept of the Mary Sue, which comes out of fan fiction. Yeah. Uh, which goes right back into Star Trek or whether we are doing original art uh, of of one of our favorite characters or doing a fan film and sharing it with everyone else and inviting feedback, I think is really important part of our culture, an important part of our society. When we start putting a, a, a lockdown on these, when we have companies, IP holders that are saying, no, don't do this. No, you can't sell your sketches at a comic book convention. No, you can't do this. Is that harming our culture or not? Well, it's, that's a tough question right there. I think that is, it is. And it's, It's hard to describe when you say culture because really what you're looking at, there's there's kind of two sides of that same coin. Let me me put it this way, Matthew. Mm -hmm. You're a little kid. 
You've just seen Star Wars for the first time. Mm-hmm. You've got your Luke and Leia figures, your action figures. And because you've only seen that first movie and you don't know the wackiness that comes next, you're like, oh, Luke, you're my hero. Oh, Leia, I love you. <laughs> and you're playing. Do you want a mm-hmm. lawyer to jump out and go, uh-uh-uh-uh-uh? You can't do that. Well, no, that's not the same thing. If, say, it would be like you if you were that, playing that game and then someone came along and threw a million dollars at your feet. <laughs> or if you were if you were playing that same game and you were playing it on stage with actors right. and your friends were kicking in 10 bucks for beer, is that going to be something that would be copyright infringement? Again, it's it's a very difficult game to play. And I think that part of the issue is, yes, the monetary level involved is very high. That's more money than I've ever seen. But more importantly... I think it's a question of when, when we become a fan of something, mm-hmm. there is a sense of ownership on our part. Mm-hmm. And when someone says, oh, well, uh, X writer has ruined Y, right. you can say Dan Slott has ruined Batman or Scott Snyder has ruined the Defenders. Whatever you say. That feeling is entirely valid and entirely emotional and has no basis on legal grounds. We don't really own these concepts. We don't own anything of the Star Trek. And I love Star Trek as much as anybody here, uh, with the exception maybe of the, of the nice lady who wears the uniform once in a while. And even then, I can argue. I could wear that uniform. It'd be a nice hat. But I think <laughs> a, a nice bandana around your head. Exactly. It's pretty when, shaggy. Well, when you get right down to it, it is a, probably a shirt my size pretending to be a dress, but that's neither here nor there. Um, when you get right down to it, yeah, Star Trek is a concept that has affected people and it touches people. And when you say, I sure do wish there was more Star Trek, you're saying there's more Star Trek that I like. People who who really bought into this and people who support this, I don't think they're doing anything wrong. I think they're perfectly, you know, within their rights to want these things. But then there's also the question of as I hate to say the word consumers, but in in some way we are consumers well, of the you media are, that you we are, watch. You are a dollar sign. We don't control what they're going to give us. Star Trek Into Darkness was not my cup of tea. The same could be said of Man of Steel, not my cup of tea. Both very successful monetarily, but not necessarily the kind of thing that I'd want to see. So it's interesting, you, it's interesting that you brought that up because this past week or week and a half, DC came out and said, hey, you know what? They posted this up on their blog site. You know, fan campaigns do have an impact on the way that we run our company. If you are a fan of the Omega Men and there's enough people that are showing interest in this, mm-hmm. we will continue on this Omega Men series. If, oh, yeah. you are, if you are a fan of Poison Ivy, which obviously all these tweets about Poison Ivy indicate that we should continue to do more Poison Ivy stuff. So we are listening to you and we're trying to adjust to what you are demanding. In a, in a culture that is participatory in, in these fan films and these creations, whether it be fan fiction written, whether it be fan audio in the case of Doctor Who type stuff, uh, whether it be uh, fan films like the Star Wars, Star Trek, uh, Firefly, whatever it may be, Star Wars, a big one. Is this not an indicator then when when you are an IP holder, Lucasfilm, for example, before they sold to Disney or mm-hmm. Paramount? And you're seeing all of these fan films pop up because as fans, we want to see more Star Trek. We want to see more Firefly. We want to see more Batman. Devil's Mm -hmm. Advocate, though, 
I mean, I know. the, the well, last two Star Trek movies made tons of money, so why would you look anywhere else? Well, but you could yeah, say whatever before... you could say whatever you want about Benedict Does Khan. That movie was more than a criti- uh, more than a financial success, right? So why would you look? Why would you even bother looking at what fans are doing well, if but, what you're doing is making you money? But one could argue that those two Star Trek movies would never have come about if there wasn't a fan demand, and one could look as a barometer. At these fan mm-hmm. films and say, man, there's a lot of Star Trek stuff going on and it's pretty good. And look at the numbers that this uh, online series is having. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe we should relaunch this this film property and see what's going on with it. And maybe we can make some something there. So you take that away. Say for going to a convention, you may not have a barometer for what people want out of that property and what might mm-hmm. sell or what may not sell. Does that make sense? Mm hmm. Yeah, but what may sell is not always the main indicator of what a corporate oh, entity true. wants. I mean, they to could still yeah, just like say, we're not going to get any female action figures, even though Ray's the star of The yeah. Force Awakens. Now, to be fair, if you, there are plenty of Ray Star Trek feedback, figures. <laughs> or Star Wars figures, I mean. If you look back at the feedback, though, to the Star Trek Beyond uh, trailer, just the trailer. Yeah. People are up in arms and people are saying, this is not my Star Trek. This is not the Star Trek we know. This is all framity, framity, fru. And even, you know, the feedback to the Axonar lawsuit has overtones of betrayal. How could Paramount cross us now? We are the people who helped to create and maintain this beloved franchise year after year. See, I would argue that because I have seen, I follow a lot of people who are like Trek writers, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, people who have worked on the properties and who are working on the books currently. And I would argue that from people who weren't previously Axanar supporters, a lot of it is not. Uh, betrayal. A lot of it is that's their IP, man. You got to yeah. get over it and not stop playing in their sandbox. And I and I totally understand mm-hmm. that. I mean, and, and that's where the real split for me comes in because at the one hand, man, I've seen some fantastic fan films from, yeah. I mean, I've seen a crazy bad, not bad as in good, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> Turtles piece that I was like, holy crap, that was awesome. And mm-hmm. then I've seen some real drack that actually, in my opinion, harmed an IP. Uh, after I watched it, because I was like, holy crap, I never want to watch anything like that again. Roger Corman, fantastic. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Sorry, something in my throat there, I don't know. But I'm wondering, though, <laughs> do property owners owe more to fan fiction, fan films, than they're letting on? It's I mean, is, and I guess the I think only it thing that I would, on the property. I would say the thing it's, that would support this argument is look at what Lucasfilm did. And of course, we don't really know what Disney's doing. They've never come out with a. They've kind of come out with a statement. But with yeah. Lucasfilm, George Lucas and uh, Kathleen Kennedy were by, both like, yes, please make all the fan films you want. Follow these guidelines. Here's a bunch of stuff you can use. Here's stuff you need to stay away from. Otherwise, go knock yourself out. In fact, we yeah. will host and judge and support an annual fan film competition. Mm-hmm. It's it's a symbiosis. I mean, Fan involvement and fan films are a huge indicator of how much people are engaged and how much people love mm-hmm. your franchise. Mm-hmm. And if you if you say, never, ever do this, I think it can certainly affect fan involvement. But this is something different than never, ever do this. This is something of everybody else is doing this. You're doing something different. And we are now going to address what you are doing different. And I think the real question for me, just as a, a an impassioned observer, is what are they doing different and how is this going to splash back or roll down, if at all, to other people doing the same thing? And Ooh. really, 
it's that it's that that balance that we talked about so many times on Zach on film of yeah. the business uh-huh. and the creative sides are often in balance. You you got to go back and forth on that particular surfboard to to keep right on the edge of the curve with your hanging ten and the I, I'm from the Midwest with the surfing metaphor that I don't really understand. I, I, I've got a I've got a conspiracy theory. Of course you do. Now, <laughs> Ashley, you have read the entire complaint, and, and I, I sure read have. through the entire complaint. It's long, and essentially, what Paramount is suing for is they're su- suing for hundred. I think it's one hundred and five thousand dollars for each infraction that they are doing with this Axonar project, including which, using the word. Which, go ahead. By the way, could be millions of dollars. It is. As I counted up, and if I'm understanding what the complaint is, there's like 18 different infractions that they're putting down, including the use of Klingon, phasers, um, uh, um, Vulcan, um, Axonar, and then the characters of Soval and Garrick. They're they're listing those, and they pay, spend a lot of – so it's somewhere around like $2.2 $2 million if, I'm, if I calculated it right. But the fact but that there could be more too if they include each of the movie properties as something separate. Yes, and that was another thing they listed. It says all and the weird. I mean, this, if, uh, ladies and gentlemen, go and find the complaint. You can find it fairly easily. Um, but it goes in and says, "Here's exactly where they're stealing this in the original episodes. They go by the episode, and I don't think they include the time marker. But they're like second season, third episode, blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, wow, they really you know went in on this." Uh, but yeah, you're right. It could be more than $2.2 million. The fact that they spend so much time on Soval, and is this character's name Garrick? Is that his name? It's uh, Garth. 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 Okay. Garth of Izar. Garth of Izar apparently was mentioned in one line in a Star Trek episode, original series by Captain Kirk, who said that that was his hero. Mm-hmm. We know that there is a new Star Trek series coming up. It's going to have its initial pilot episode released on television, then it's going online. We don't know anything about it. But because they're spending so much time talking about Gareth and Soval, I'm wondering if this is not the time period that they're that this new series is focusing on. And they're trying to stop this before it causes confusion when the Paramount series is released. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Does that have any bite? Do you think anybody? Oh, it's definitely compelling. Uh, It's one of those. It sure sounds like it should be true theories. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I have no way of saying yes or no, but if I were conspiracy minded, I can definitely see that having some serious resonance because really what it breaks down to is again, we've said people want to know why, why is this happening? And if there is, you know, a secret plan that might actually involve a story in that same time period, or even Garth of Izar mm-hmm. himself then, yeah, you can definitely see why this would be different than, say, you know, a Star Trek Phase 2 or the thing that Chekhov was on, which may have been Star Trek Phase 2. Renegades. Yeah, that thing. What, what's the insight on, 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 on your word, uh, Ashley? You hear anything about the Star Trek thing? What? About the, about the TV series? Have you heard anything about the, the, the new series that they're working on? No, I told my agent to. No, I know it'll be casting soon, but that's all I know about it. Well, so let me ask you this. Um, and again, this is uh, the producer of Axonar said that he sat yeah. down with CBS and told them the plans. And they basically said, well, don't make any money off of it. Right. That's been CBS's um, s- statement to a lot of people. CBS sent, mm-hmm. uh, they called uh, the gentleman whose name I'm, I don't know who's in charge of new voyages. And they said, you can do this until you make money off of it. And I think 
Axonar, and I haven't checked it out, so I don't know, but Axonar claims that it produces an annual report every year. Oh, so you haven't um, looked for that. I haven't, I haven't looked at it. I don't know how accurate it is. I'm not an accountant, and even if I had looked right, at it. Right, right. Well, um, I guess the reason why I brought it up is, did you reach out to Paramount or CBS to say, hey, is it okay if we do this, even if we don't make money for Red Shirt Diaries? Uh, no, because we were only initially going to make the 10. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also, we're pretty... We're pretty confident that we're safe under uh, fair use parody and, parody. and satire because yes. we. what makes us different is we are directly commenting on the events of every episode and right. we make a point to talk about what is silly or what was maybe a questionable decision based mm-hmm. on the time period, blah, 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 which mm-hmm. something like Axonar can't do. But I mean, if Paramount wants to send me a cease and desist order, I'll cease and desist. I'm right, not fighting right. anything. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I mean, I totally, I've been on the receiving end of multiple uh, letters like that. So I totally know where you're coming from about that. But you do bring up something that's very important in this conversation, and that is this claim of fair use. And when you're talking about fair use, parody falls under that fair use banner, one of those pillars. Well, fair use fair use is a security blanket. It's right. not necessarily an ironclad defense. Right. Yes. I mean, that has to be examined. We had uh, Dr. Melissa Hunziker-Walburn on about a year ago talking about copyright and parody and all these kinds of things. And, and I think the last time fan films popped up in our discussion. But um, yours fall, clearly falls under parody. And I think you would have a lot more protection if you wanted to fight something like this. When a, you know, fan films have been around since the 1920s. I mean, the uh, Little Rascals had fan films being made, um, mm-hmm. you know, way back in the 1920s. And they were passed around and all these things. When you the look at Sherlock uh, Holmes play wasn't written by Arthur Conan right, Doyle. Right. And even. Um, <laughs> oh, what is it? Uh, Hardware Wars, the Star Wars um, mm-hmm. uh, fan film. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was clearly parody. Even Spaceballs <laughs> is parody. Yep. So I think you're okay with that. But when it falls into something like Axonar or, and the weird thing, again, I think we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, or maybe it was on uh, Dueling Reviews, the porn parodies that the adult industry cranks out. If you watch them, there's nothing that they're making fun of. I mean, the Star Trek uh, porn parody (laughs) is straight up just a fan film. Suits, man. It's it's the suits. I guess. I don't know. well, we but, never I mean, see Bill Shatner paid, take off they, his pants. So. They could have paid for the license. I mean, um, there's a book that came out in December called Warped, which is based on a Twitter account, which was uh, The Next Generation Season 8. Mm, mm-hmm. um, and it's very quirky. It's written by a friend of mine named Mike McMahon, who writes for Rick and Morty. They bought the license so that they could do artwork and include oh, cool. official photographs. Like, you can do that. Yeah. <laughs> So why not you know? do that? What do, you, what do you think would be the cost of doing something like this if you went to Paramount and said, hey, man, we want to do uh, a three-part series, 20 minutes a piece? Well, I think if you're, doing, if you're doing video content and you're going to a television studio, you're immediately going to spike someone yeah. you know, in, in PR. Right. And I think that that is the trickier thing than if you're doing – Just licensing a, a Star Trek logo or something like that. Mm-hmm. So here's but, the, I mean, that's one of the ways you can circumvent being sued is you can just buy the license. Yeah. The other thing, Matthew, that you brought up early on in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, these people are creators. I mean, whether they're good people or bad people, I mean, that's not for us to judge. But if they're so talented, right. if they're able to bring in these uh, fantastic, well, again, not our place to judge these fantastic mm-hmm. actors uh, mm-hmm. in, into this show. Mm-hmm. Why not just do something that's your own project that is in a vein of, but not even using anything from that? 
And I think that's that may be what this boils down to is they may have to, but it's another one of those situations where things resonate more when they're called Star Trek, even if they don't have any relation to Star Trek. The Michael Bay Transformers movies are super, super famous, super, super successful. They have, I can't say the word all to do with traditional Transformers stories as we've known them since the 80s. But that's kind of the thing that we've run into, especially in the modern era, a story or a movie or a book or whatever you're doing can really be elevated by being tied to an existing universe or mm -hmm. property or expectation. And I think that this particular story is one of those moments, those, those legends of this was never shown on television. So what's the untold story of the battle of Axanar? That's the kind of thing that can really grab you. And it may be that the creators are just like, really hooked on that idea of let's tell the story of the Battle of Axanar. Whether or not anything else comes out of this, you have to look at it and think that at the very least, knowing the episode, I think it's Whom Gods Destroy, to be honest, um, knowing that that's in there and knowing that backstory <laughs> and going, well, uh, clearly this is your favorite. That's right. the love that brings you to it. That's that right. moment where, you know, on, on the Twitter, I'm like, hey, guys, have you heard of Zippo? His name was Zippo, see? That will have more resonance than just saying, here's this cool story in space with the backstory of this, you know, entire federation of planets. Uh, excuse mm -hmm. me, planetary federation, because that's legally uh, not uh, copyrighted. We're not going on a Star Trek. We're going on a galaxy quest. We're going on a, tr a cruise, a, a, a three galactic tour. cruise. Oh, a galactic cruise. Far out space nuts, man. In space. Anything yeah. else, Ashley, you want to comment on uh, why not just do something your own if you've got the ability and the monies and all of this stuff? Well, I mean, it's just the thing. It's it's a you already have a built in audience. It makes it 10 times easier. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it restricts you in different ways. Yeah. But the thing that that I'm most interested in is that Paramount and CBS is seeking the court to uh, create a document based on their ruling. And if it rules in their favor, this document could probably be used to prosecute further fan productions if they wow. want. Wow. And if that's and the they. thing that I'm most interested about this. I mean, aside from the fact that like I do a Star Trek fan film is, you know, assuming it looks like they're going to go to court because it looks like um, everyone on both sides is very fired up about it. Um, so if they go to court, I mean, Axenor's going to lose right? because they don't own the IP. Like right. whether they're nice guys, whether they're not nice guys, like it's not their thing. And then, you know, if if Paramount and CBS gets this document that they're looking for, I think it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of years what that means for other productions. I, I'm so in this. I'm kind of in that same boat as you, Ashley. I really I love fan films. I really do. But at the same time. Hey man, it's somebody else's property, and if they want to come and sue you for it, that's your tough crap, man. Yeah. So I ah man, I'm so split on this. I would hate for a document. I mean, I'd hate for some kind of court document to come out that would essentially ban all fan films. I don't know if it would ban all fan films or just Trek fan films. Or but if they make it Trek for Trek, films, then, then it's yeah, so yeah. easy to do then it for it, everybody it, else. Exactly. Well. I guess, does, would that backfire? Do you think that's going to backfire on the IP holders in any way, shape, or form, regardless of I, the IP? 
I think it could, but I don't know that it's going to be a major impact. I, I don't mean, think it, in a meaningful way, yeah. If hmm. you say no more fan films ever, what do you lose? If you lose 5% of the people that go to a Star Trek movie, that means instead of a million ten, you're making a million four on your next Star Trek film. Well, it's like those people who are tweeting like boycott beyond support Axanar and they're tweeting at like Simon Pegg. Whoop do you do? So 4,000 people don't go see beyond. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not going to lose any money. Yeah. And that's the thing. You know, Simon Pegg has literally nothing to do with any of this. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure Simon <laughs> Pegg doesn't know what Axanar is. I'm really sorry. <laughs> Probably not. Yeah. I, I think what's <laughs> he gonna, might. what he's nerdy enough. He do. might. <laughs> what it could do is create some temporary, you know, bad feelings, some mm -hmm. some bad press and some oh, yeah, just like hate those, facery. Uh, episode one, two, and three did. Yeah. And it look, at, look at the impact it had on this new movie. But right? this is the thing. You know, we've said it before and we we will have to continue saying it. As the rights holder, they no, do have, have a responsibility. Right. They they have a right and a responsibility to defend it. And mm -hmm. if they choose to defend it here and not defend it from something different, let's say they do choose it and they do have this, this document or they have this precedent that they can then use in the future. Basically, what they've done is they've made it possible for any fan film to be tolerated up until the point that the IP holder doesn't want it to be. Now, does that sound terrible? Maybe. If I were a fan filmmaker, I can definitely see being upset about something like that. But there's also the question of... They have those rights. Mm -hmm. They they legally have the ability to do this. Now, whether they, you know, you can call them bullies, you can say whatever you need to say, but what it really comes down to is a question of they've been tolerant of a lot of things. They've been tolerant of a lot of films. We don't necessarily have all of the reasons why this feels like a different situation, but it definitely does. I mean, it, it does to us, and, you know, we're just – three guys spread all over the universe. I guess, I don't know. I guess my fear is, I know this is again, total conspiratorial slippery slope, uh, ranter kind of thing. I would hate Remember for kids, it to use real tin foil because aluminum foil <laughs> amplifies the mind control rays. You know, I just don't want it to kind of start boiling down to the fact of, uh, I want to tell my own original story about a guy who's really, really fast. And then suddenly I'm getting a cease and desist because, well, this is too much like our guy that runs really, really fast. Yeah. Even though bed. it's not using anything else besides the power set of don't, a character. Don't put him in yellow either. He's going to wear black. And for God's sake, don't put him in yellow and call him the wizard. Well, that's what I was saying. <laughs> what happens if I just use the word the wizard and suddenly I'm getting getting sued for that? I, I, well, I know that would. that's I'm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure that's too far down the line where it's like, oh, that guy has a pokey thing that comes out of his arm and kills people with it. Uh, that's too much like our guy that has three pokey things that come out and kills people with it. Um, Getting a little Orwellian there, Stephen. What's that? Getting a little Orwellian. I know, I know. <laughs> but it, see, so the whole thing is, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because this stuff fascinates me because I'm so on that fence about, you know, where, what side do I want to sit on? And, and major spoilers control several IPs, right? We have mm -hmm. several things that we have legitimate financial interest in mm -hmm. that on the one hand, I love seeing what people do with those things. But on the other hand, I got to be very careful that you're not trying to sell something based on our IP because well, see, then there's the line. Like it's all great that people draw, say critical hit fan, fan, right. fan art. That's right. cool. What mm -hmm. if someone else makes their own critical hit show? Is that the thing that would 
make you take action? Well, probably. I mean, we've you had know? people. I mean, we've <laughs> literally had people over the years. Um, usually, a lot of people write to us and say, "Hey, man, would it be okay if uh, we created a video game based on this world using these characters that make appearances in it?" And I have to say. Unless you're giving us 90% of the profits, then no. Uh, You know, and so most of the time it's like, yeah, yeah, I totally understand. And sometimes people are like, hey, man, and, you know, can I sell a product that has your logo on it if I'm paying you a percentage of this money that I make? Of course, go ahead. Let's write this in writing. And then I've had people where it's like, hey, here's a tea blend based on characters that you guys own that I am selling. Can you promote this for me? Not only no, but stop selling that stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I understand it from that point, but I also, I, I love seeing this, this stuff. And I, and I understand yeah. that fans are passionate about this stuff because I see it all the time. And, and it's just like, ah, and Ashley, you're kind it's, of in that, I, I, would, I would, don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like you're kind of in that same boat here. I definitely am. Um, I mean, also, it's a little bit different for me because if they do start going after people, then I have to certainly consider, you know, some things about my own life. Right. <laughs> I mean, right. I really think we're small enough that it's not a big no, deal. No, I, I, I honestly don't. I mean, I mean, you guys are, I mean, you are really totally protected. I don't think that they would come after you. But as someone who has a passion for a franchise and you want to share in that passion and have fun with that property, mm-hmm. it's also got to frustrate you to say, I can't do anything. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just so interesting because, I mean, there's a right and a wrong, certainly from like a legal standpoint, because mm-hmm, again, mm-hmm. like like they, they own the IP. Right. Um, but it's from this this new media world that we live in. It certainly feels more complicated than that. Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. it is complicated. And it's going to get more complicated. Yeah. And again, Yay. I just wanted to bring this up because I thought it was a very interesting pro- uh, uh, topic. I thought we had some really good people on who've got some very good insight into this. And I wanted to just open this up for discussion. I'm not saying anybody's right or wrong in this, except from where the legal law stands, in which case Paramount right. is totally in the right to do what they're doing. Um, but I'm not saying that Axonar is an awful project or anything like that. I don't think anybody here is saying that because we haven't ever seen anything from it. But and I thought we, it was something. Go ahead. I don't know if we ever will now. We probably point. won't. I mean, there is that. What is it? Road to Axonar or whatever Great. that. Yeah. Yeah. The you can see that up on the Kickstarter page. But I think I wanted to bring it up and spend some time talking about it because so many people brought it up this week. And also because I want our listeners to share their thoughts on this as well. Where do you stand on this? We've talked about this multiple times over the years. It's a it's a topic that is that I'm passionate about. I mean, I've even reached out to um, publishers in the past saying, hey, what do you think of people doing? You know, like, for example, reaching out to Dark Horse and saying, hey, what do you think of people doing Hellboy fan films? Well, we've really not had anybody uh, do anything about that. But as long as they're not going too far and trying to make money from it, we're okay with it. I mean, I've gotten these statements back from people saying what they feel is okay to do or not do. But see, that's there. Nobody knows what that too far line. No. Right. And would it be would it be more helpful if there was a line that was drawn and says, do not cross this line? Maybe it will be. And maybe that's what that document will wind up being. I think it's like pornography. They know it when they see it. Yeah. Mm. I, I wouldn't and, know because I've never seen it before, Matthew. What is this? You say <laughs> p- p- pornography, P-A-W-N-ography? <laughs> I'm not sure I know what this word is. Schleicher. <laughs> Don't make me get up out of this chair. No one will be happy, least of all me. But yes, 
I think it's it it really is a matter of it's it's a matter of degree. It's a matter of who's looking. It's a matter of what perspective they're seeing. And most importantly, it's more complicated than big evil corporation cracking down on the little guy. Yeah, I think so. You know, I yeah, I don't know. All right, listeners, head over to majorspoilers.com. Share your thoughts on this. I really would love to hear your your inputs and opinions. And I know we have fantastic listeners out there, 20, 30,000 of you who are listening to this. Maybe not all at once right now. Hello, future people. No, you are. Hello, future people. Everybody, stand up. If two of you stand up, they'll think you're crazy. But if 50 people stand up and say, hello, future people, they'll think it's a movement. You can get anything you want at Alice's Restaurant. Hey, you know what? Speaking about getting something that you want, who wants to get some pop vinyl figures? Who wants to get some exclusive Walgreens pop vinyl figures? A couple of years ago, Walgreens had these uh, Marvel pop vinyl figures. Uh, Black Suit Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2099, The Punisher, and Venom. And I picked them up. and that Spidey 2099. Oh, did you? Okay. Um, I picked them up, and I was, and they've been sitting around. It's like, okay, you know what? I, I initially wanted to give these away in some kind of contest, and now we have our giveaway page going. And you can yeah. enter right now for the next, uh, I think, 29 days. You can head to Majorspoilers.com slash giveaway, all one word, and you can enter to win these four pop vinyl figures. Now, there's some terms and conditions that you need to follow. Uh, and you can click on those over there at the uh, majorspoilers.com slash giveaway. But you Not can interrupt the five times. States. You can get five chances to win this. And we'll nice. be giving those away in February. And then in February, guess what? More stuff to give away. New stuff. It's, you know, as much as I... You know, we did the major spoilers by the numbers. And if you want to see how productive or not productive we were in 2015, there's an um, article on the website, major spoilers by the numbers that talks about everything that we generated this year. And that's all of us. Matthew, Ashley, Rodrigo, Rob, Zach, everybody. Um, Wilson. Wilson. So many people, so many wonderful people. But there were things that I didn't get to personally that I felt really down about. And one of them was I wanted to do a giveaway a month. I finally sat my butt down. On January 2nd, put this thing together, launched it, and now it's going for the next 29 days. And I think now that it's up and running, we will be able to give something away every month. But head over to Majorspoilers.com slash giveaway and enter if you want to win these things. I think it's pretty cool. (laughs) The November giveaway should be who gets Matthew for Thanksgiving. Yeah, who's going to take him for Thanksgiving (laughs) this year? So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Oh, yeah. Do check out the Red Shirt Diaries over on YouTube. Uh, J-A-W-I-I-N is the channel to look for. Again, this latest episode, it is it is beyond the <laughs> first and second episodes of this season. This one has got the best acting in it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the day I cried the most on set. Oh, really? <laughs> that's Aww. a true. That's a true and honest story. <laughs> so let's real quick. Peter, I know you have a behind. The, I, I know you have a behind the scenes video up. But did you yeah, use yeah. Ear, ear prompter or was that all somebody reading the script off screen? Uh, no, that is, um, our first AD Jordan Keeble, who wrote our 14th episode court martial is sitting in the chair reading oh, okay. with me because we're about the same height. Mm-hmm. So I would have the eye line. Um, and then on the lines that I couldn't get right, uh, they're taped to the wall. Ah, cool. <laughs> well, there's some behind us. Hey, you remember Marlon Brando had to have his lines taped to the forehead of the, uh, of the people in, uh, Superman. That's true. Yeah. yeah, and so, uh, Robert Duvall actually had am, cue so. cards during the, the Godfather. <laughs> so I see, you're know. in fine company. <laughs> I don't want to be the creepy guy who remarks on anyone's sexiness, but if it came down to you and Marlon Brando... Oh, you oh. take Marlon Brando. Oh, Marlon Brando. I don't know. 
<laughs> well, for one thing, contender. you're a girl, so, you know. Yeah. That, that. Hey, let us get to some reviews. All right. Reviews. Uh, I am interested, Ashley, about Rat Queens. I have, I read the first uh, two trades, mm-hmm. which is, I think, the first 12 issues. The third one's out now. The third one is out now. I want to know what's going on in the most recent issue number 14. Okay, so in issue number 14, which came out last week of Rat Queens, it is the final issue or or the fourth part of this most recent arc called Demons. And the cool thing about this issue is that even though the four Rat Queens that we know are separate, you get to know a lot about each of the characters over the course of this issue. Now, I will tell you this, that Comixology has Stepion Sajic listed as the artist, but the artist is actually Tess Fowler. Ooh, okay. So, And she has been on the book since issue 11, and she's a wonderful, beautiful artist who I think deserves credit. Yeah. So I wanted to, wanted to say that. Um, so in this issue, we learn a lot about Hannah and Dee. Hannah is the uh, light-skinned, dark-haired, elfy girl, mm-hmm. uh, the magician. You learn what happened with her mother and father and kind of why she is as abrasive as she is and why through these 14 episodes she really has this reputation and you're learning where it's come from and why people are scared of her. And you also get to see her be a little bit soft and emotional, which is kind of unusual for the character. She's either like very fiery and angry or like very <laughs> sad. Yeah. So it's a nice kind of tempering of her and humanizing this a non-human character. Um, and then D is the dark-skinned priestess to the Cthulhu monster. Mm-hmm. And um, her and her brother go to a spiritual plane and they talk about their relationship with their mother and you learn... You like why a virgin they... Atlantic plane or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's very purple, so it's exactly the same. <laughs> um, and you learn, you learn kind of why they both left the religious cult that they grew up in, even though in recent events, D has come back to realize kind of who her deity is and what that all means well, to her. Yeah, and she has all the knowledge. Yeah, all of the knowledge in all of the world. Um, so it was cool, like, because these are kind of the, your two really, like, badass leaders of the group. So they got these really humanizing moments, which are nice, whereas um, Betty the smidgen, which is mm-hmm. totally not a hobbit, but it's kind of a hobbit. Yeah. And, uh, and Violet the dwarf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, who are kind of more of your goofy, uh, yeah, more of your goofy characters. Um they encounter a dragon, uh, which uh, the way that they kind of circumvent being murdered by the dragon is that Betty befriends it and he takes them on a tour of his cave and all of their stuff. And then they share candy and drugs. It's pretty great. <laughs> this is a grown up book, by it the way. It is definitely it's a grown up book. book. <laughs> no, you, you know, like, oh, there is a um, with Hannah's boyfriend. Um, who's There's the- naked. There's lots of naked and man wiener and man uh, wiener all over the place. Yes. And and oh and uh, what's the what's the dwarf woman's name? Violet. Violet. Uh, she has a thing for an orc. So orc Dave. Yeah, orc Dave. The four Daves are yep. great in this. Even oh, uh, I love the four Daves. Even uh, Gary is funny in this series. Nobody likes Gary. Nobody likes Gary though, but he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> have you um, read, have you read Red Queens, Gary. Matthew? Uh, I think I read like the first four issues. I, I would read highly it I would highly recommend it. It's worth checking out. Especially this issue. Okay. <laughs> um, it, th- where it kind of leaves off is with Violet is tempted by something and you learn whether or not she gives into this uh, item in the Dragon's Horde. And I think that the choice that she makes is going to shape um, the coming arc 
next, you know, three or four issues or so. So I really, really dug this issue because Rat Queens has kind of had trouble keeping an artist. And now that they found, you know, that uh, Tess Fowler's on the book, it's got this really regular schedule that it's coming out. You're seeing the story really evolve because the first arc is very much like this is fun time, grown up D&D. Yeah. And the second arc is digging a little more into the characters. And in this third arc, I feel like we're finally getting to know what shape these characters. And so I had a really great time with this. It looks amazing. Uh, it's really well colored. So I would definitely give it a four and a half out of five because I don't know if I can give anything a five out of five, but this is close. Ooh, it, it is a good, it is a good series. And that was out last week from last- uh, Image Comics. Mm-hmm. Shadow line specifically. Cool. Uh, now there is a new comic out this week from Archie Comics, Archie mm-hmm. number five from Mark Wade with uh, artist of this issue, Veronica Fish. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to read this series. This but was one of my top Veronica five. A fish. One of my f- top five comics of the year was Archie. I think it was my number one actually. If you listen to last week's right. episode, spoiler alert. Hello, future people. Why are you behind an episode? Yeah, what's wrong with you? Um, Betty and Jughead have had it with Veronica and they need to break Veronica and Archie up. And so they dip down to the lowest of the low and go talk to Reggie. No. Yes. They get into cahoots with Reggie. Reggie Reggie is the worst. Reggie (laughs) is the worst. Um. And Archie, even though he seems to be aloof and kind of out of it and in his own space, he knows something's going on and the plan is somewhat thwarted by the end of the issue. And there's kind of a realization for Betty that I think people want to check out. I'm not saying that it's the, I don't think that this is, I mean, I don't, Wade is on this for, I don't know, forever as far as I'm concerned. (laughs) But I mean, there is something about this series that is far different from anything you've seen in Archie. It is very CW. I will grant you that, but it's so well done. And the art continues to be fantastic. The artists that they had, they started out with, um, um, saga. Um, I forgot Fiona her Staples. name. Yeah. Fiona Staples. They had any woo on for issue four. They've got Veronica Ooh. fish here on this one. This is as far as I'm concerned, Above and beyond any other book, I am looking forward to this book more than any other from any other publisher each and every month. And Ashley, you said you don't know if you can give a book five out of five. I can definitely give Archie number five out this week, five slices of meatloaf. Well, we'll just have to have words about that after I read it. We might. In fact, you look in your email box. You have it sitting there right there. Oh, really? I'm going to go look for it right yeah, now. I love it, that series. It's, it's, it's really good. Now... <laughs> Matthew, here's something that's a little yes. odd. Yes. You have a book that's technically out this week. Yes. But because of a shipping error, Marvel had to go ahead and tell comic book stores, go ahead and sell them on Friday. Yes. On January, what was that? Second, first or second. Yes. And uh, even Wayne, um, Wayne Hall wrote an article about it up on Major Spoilers this week, talking about how the snafu really Actually, it was a good thing for him because it kicked off 2016 in style. But Obi-Wan <laughs> and Anakin number one is officially supposed to come out this week, but it came out last week, <laughs> kind of halfway through the week. There was a thing. There, was, there was a, a thing. Play. A thing happened. So, okay, do the, do the music, will you? 
Bring the music down. Star Wars. For a thousand Wonderful years, Star the mystic Wars. Jedi Order has served as peacekeeper of the Republic, maintaining peace in the service of the Galactic Senate. Several years have passed since Anakin began his studies in the Jedi Temple on Coruscant. Coruscant? Coruscant. Thank you. He's proven to be stronger in the Force than any child trained in generations. However, Anakin and Obi-Wan have both begun to question their roles in the destiny of the Force. Now they have embarked upon a mission to the far reaches of the galaxy to respond to an address, stress, stress, stress call. Da, 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 a mission da, da. that could change everything for them both. Ooh, you know, um, down from the it's, star interesting. it's interesting because the uh, Star Wars Clone Wars... Use mm-hmm. the old timey voice guy to introduce every episode. Oh, neat! I've never yeah. seen one of those. Yeah, you ought to watch it. It's a good series. Every time I see a rolling scroll like the opening of Star Trek, I just hear the guy going, "Good evening, Mister and Miss America, and all the ships at sea." <laughs> this issue takes place on the planet Carnelian Four or Carnelian IV for those of you who are more hospitally inclined, where Obi Wan and his Padawan. And by the way, can I just say? I hate the term Padawan. You know, it so, makes him sound like a drunken baby panda with really big feet. One of our Twitter followers tweeted me this week and said, can you please tell me where the first appearance of Padawan was? Is mm-hmm. it in Star Wars Rebels? Is it in the original series? Where was it? Now, obviously, in episodes one, two, and three, mm-hmm. Anakin is a Padawan, and they use that word there. And I went and looked, and according to the Wikipedia, and I would never say that anything on the internet is wrong, but Wikipedia is so well-maintained by fans. They say mm-hmm. that the first appearance of Padawan was in Empire Strikes Back. What? Yeah. Where could that have been? The only place that I could have thought of it showing up would be where Yoda and Luke are training. That would have been mm, the I only place they would have had a chance to bring it up. Well, Obi-Wan, as you'll recall, in the original uh, first part of the second trilogy, uh, what is it called? Four, five, and six. The Phantom Menace. Oh, the Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is a Padawan with that stupid rat tail. Yes. Uh huh. Hate, I hate the rat tail. I hate the name Padawan. So naturally in this issue, Anakin is a young Padawan with a rat tail. This takes place a few years before Send in the Clones, but a few years after Phantom Menace. Anakin looks to be maybe, I'm going to say 14, 14, okay. 15, maybe. He's definitely, you know, a, a between two early teens mm-hmm. and he and Anakin, he and Obi-Wan rather have shown up on this planet after a distress call only to discover that the planet is actually a post-apocalyptic ruin. And there's some interesting discussion about why the galactic Republic allowed this to happen. And a discussion about how the Jedi can't really stop anyone from destroying their whole world if they want. And it's, Really kind of weird and kind of interesting, especially given the the issues that I might have had with the portrayal of the Jedi Order and the way that they're used in that original, you know, not that original, the, the, the trilogy, the right, first right. three movies. Mm-hmm. But when they arrive on the planet, they actually find a crashed ship. And as they embark, Anakin explains that he wants to leave the Jedi Order. But Obi-Wan insists that he takes his lightsaber with him, and we find out what's been going on back at the Jedi Temple. There's some Mace Windu in here. Looks Mm -hmm. just like Nick Fury. It's freaky. Wow. And in Marvel book? No way. 
Yeah, it's really strange. And of course, uh, there's uh, a little bit of Chancellor Palpatine. Mm -hmm. The likenesses are very solid on Palpatine and Mace Window, maybe less so on Obi-Wan. And of course, Anakin is at a point where we didn't actually see either of the actors to play Anakin at this age, so he's fine. But when the story really starts to to break down and roll out, it feels like this is the beginning of whatever strange things happen. Because you'll recall in uh, Send in the Clones, Anakin is wearing black robes and being all weird and emo and and Mm -hmm. dark dark teenage gothy. (laughs) Here he's wearing the standard brown bathrobe that makes him look like Jesus of Malibu. And as the story ends... They find the people who sent the uh, distress signal, and they're like, we're here from the Jedi Order. And the woman's like, what the hell's a Jedi? <laughs> My grandma used to say that to me <laughs> in the 1970s. My mom still says that to me. Yep. It's interesting. I really, really love the art in this issue. Um, the artist is a guy or girl whose name is, oh, hello, Marco Cecchetto. I'm going to say a man. Uh, But Marco does really great things with fabric and draping. And when your main characters are Jedi in their big droopy robes, it's amazing just to go from panel to panel and to see the effects with the robes. You know, sometimes in comics you get the guys drawing the capes, and the capes are, you know, a 35-foot Batman cape, Mm -hmm. and it looks really cool. This actually stays relatively faithful to what would actually be in the amount of fabric in a Jedi robe, the crash sequences, the spaceships, the explosions, all great. I'm still a little leery of this time period because I didn't really care for the episode one as much as episode three and episode two, a little more than episode one, but not as much as episode three. And it's just, this is solid. This is a good star star Wars type, your backstory with your Kirks and your Spocks in there. I think that's star Wars. But all in all, three slices of meatloaf for uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, or Obi-Wan and Anakin, Sonny and Cher, number one. Interesting book. And I, is this a, an ongoing, or is this a six-issue limited? I think this is probably a limited until it becomes popular enough that they start uh, making it an ongoing. Oh, it no. might. It'll probably be an ongoing, because only the girls' one is the limited series. Yeah, I know, which was a shame, because Mark <laughs> Wade did such a fantastic job on Princess Leia. Or was I guess it was just called series. Leia, wasn't it? Uh, maybe. I don't know. I think it was Princess Leia. That was a good book. This is a good book. This is not as great as that book, but this is a good solid book. And having read a lot of Star Wars that may not have been the best, this is, I don't know, this is better than that one episode where the giant termites were eating the X-Wing fighter. Um, <laughs> wasn't as good as the one with uh, the Magnificent Seven riff and the giant green bugs bunny. Hey, that was, a, but that was really, the best, best Star Wars right? single issue of all what, time. What could ever <laughs> live up to a giant green bugs bunny? Come on, Well, just guys. the whole fact that you're doing Magnificent Seven. With a giant green bugs bunny? With a giant green bugs bunny and a lady in a pink fuzzy bikini. Yeah. It was the 70s, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Matthew, for how many slices are you giving this one? Three slices of meatloaf. Excellent. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you, Ashley. Mathlete. 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 I'm just going to combine you both together. 
uh, and get a super Next brain. Next week it'll be Math Lirigo. Math Lego. Math Lego. There you go. Math Lego. Uh, like listeners, Lego. you can head over to Majorspoilers.com. You can check out all the reviews and things Math that we Lego have over there. College. I had to get shots for it. Don't forget to use the Majorspoilers.com slash giveaway link to sign up for those uh, pop vinyls. Pop and that vinyl. brings us into the uh, part of the show where we talk about the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Poll of the Week. I was really surprised. Um, Fandango, I guess, annually. This is an NBC Universal Fandango. Fandango. Uh, one of those uh, subsidiaries. Subside. They went and polled their users about the films that they are most excited about in 2016. Mm-hmm. And I thought, hey, okay, let's use these exact same ones plus the other category to see what our listeners <laughs> are most, most interested in in 2016. So uh, your poll of the week this week, what movie... Are you most excited about or most interested in in 2016? You have Rogue One, a Star Wars story. And I'm reading these in the list of the way Fandango ranked them. Fandango. Uh, Finding Dory, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, the new untitled Jason Bourne movie, Captain America Civil War, Star Trek Beyond, Independence Day Resurgence, X-Men Apocalypse, Zoolander number two, The Jungle <laughs> Book, or Other. I added the other in there. Other is a good movie. Other is actually a really good movie. It, it stars, stars an all actor. those people and a bunch of little kids and they're all and an actress like, and they're all dead. Yeah, oh, she's been dead the entire time. Ah, spoiler, Ashley. What movie that are you? like 15 years old. <laughs> what movie are you most Wait. looking forward to in 2016? Spoilerator. Batman v Superman. Really? How come? Yeah, what are you most excited I about that? Said, what about well, I'm not saying um, you would have more insight into this than the rest of us, but. Well, according to the Internet, mm, um, there were. Right. There were um, surprise screenings of it over the Christmas and the Hanukkah holidays. Oh, man. If only you weren't snowed in in Missouri. I know. <laughs> I also don't go to those screenings because those movies usually suck. Oh, okay. Um, like the last one I saw was The Host. So oh, yeah, I don't yeah. I'm sorry. Um, occasionally, though, they're really good. And so um, I read slash had read to me the list of all the things that people are reporting are in those that movie. And if that's true, then it's basically everything I ever hoped from a DC movie. And I'm very excited for it. Excellent. I you know <laughs> this was such a I long list. I also just list. care about that property like way more than I do than too. I do too. And and if you if you listeners if you're watching Twitter and suddenly you see me say rubber bullets honest. <laughs> it's because people, someone has tweeted me, why does Batman have a gun? And it's like, go read Dark Knight Returns and you'll find out. And that's the rubber bullets honest is a line from that. Um, also, surprisingly, someone, I think it was Yoder from Kansas, reached out to me on Twitter th- this past week. He said, hey, I just finished reading uh, Dark Knight Returns. Is the trailer like, why are these two things so similar? And I was like, well, you know, that's what Zack Snyder kind of based this whole thing on. Um so I, I got to say, of there's a lot of great movies coming out in 2016, but man, I really am excited for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. That's the one I picked. The second one that I'm most excited about at this point is Deadpool. That would be the second most one that I'm excited about. That's only not be- even on the list. I know, right? Um, and the only reason I'm excited about this is because it is a superhero movie that is R-rated and they're not being apologetic about it. And I want to see what the reaction is because I think that will maybe change the tone of some movies going forward. I don't know, but mm. it might. I don't think it will. Matthew, what uh, movie are you most looking forward to in 2016? 
I actually chose Captain America colon Civil War because the buildup to Civil War has been interesting. And, of course, you know, there mm-hmm. was that little bit at the end of Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. And I'm really kind of looking forward to seeing this because it seems to be focusing on characters. I'm not saying they're moving away from the Robert Downey Jr.'s and the Chris Hemsworth's and the Chris Evans's. I'm just saying they have the option to do that now. And I think this would be a great way to do it. I think it will be interesting. And I think that when it comes right down to it, I feel like both Marvel's Civil War and DC's uh, The Dark Knight Returns are reductive overall negative stories in terms of outcome for the comic book universes. So I feel like they both have the ability to really be the straw that broke the camel's back of their nascent uh, shared universes. But Civil War is the one that I think is going to have more things that I'm interested in. You know, I've said I don't I don't hate Dawn of Justice. I don't hate the trailers. It's just clearly not for me. I'm not the target audience, and I'm I'm okay with that. I can live with that. I, I can walk away and go, yep, it's a comic book movie. I love the comic books from which it sprang. Or sprung. Well, it probably sprang. We'll call it a Dick Sprang Dick reference sprang. to make it yeah, a there comic you go. Book thing. There you go. Hello. And then I can, hello, it's Dick <laughs> Sprang. Yeah. <laughs> For W Take UK 2K. Anyway, I think that of these movies, if I were to pick my second one, it's probably Finding Dory. Really? I'm just, uh, yeah. I'm just really surprised that that one was the second most anticipated film of 2016. That is a really big Finding Nemo. But that's that's not, a big you thing. Are I you're like not. Finding Nemo. I, I hate that movie I'm so just, much. I'm not a fan of it. I just it was, but not. it's a movie. It's a movie that I think appeals to people on on that, you know, that Pixar sweet kind of youthful level. And yeah, if you look at it, it really is kind of a disturbing film with a disturbing underlying message. Yeah. But I think that I I would like to see more in that universe. Certainly, you know, Rogue One sounds interesting. By the way, I think it's spelled Rouge on the page. Is it good? Yeah. Star Trek Beyond. I'm going to be honest with you. J.J. Abrams is not in the Star Trek, right? He's not in Beyond? He's not on this one. This is uh, is Justin Lin. Isn't Justin Lin? I think it's whoever did the Fast and Furious. Just in time. Just in time. That's his name. No, Justin Lin. And then there's another Justin who's doing a... And then there's Dustin Wynn who draws Batman. Yeah, Justin Lin is doing Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek Into Darkness was definitely not my cup of tea, so I don't know if I'm going to see Beyond. I don't know. But if it I'm has Idris Elba in it. And I and saw the trailers. Kingsman. I saw the trailers for Independence Day and X Men Duplorcalypse uh, when I saw Star Wars this weekend. Oh, yeah. And I like them both, but neither of them really make me want to see that movie i really wanted to see days of future past and i really enjoyed days of future past which makes it weird that i look at apocalypse and i just kind of go i feel the same way about apocalypse though (laughs) and you know is there a second movie that you're excited about ashley uh probably civil war because i like bucky and that's kind of his a big transitionary story for him at least in the comics um also, there are some people from the current um, crop of Marvel actor people who I could be happy that they left forever. So I'm hoping for that. Oh. You're, you're hoping that Iron Man dies, aren't you? Um, no, but I think he's getting to look real old. Well, he's 55. He looks real old now that I'm standing next to Chris Evans. 
What are you saying about old people, <laughs> Ashley Victoria? Old, old people look old. Old people yeah, look lady. old. Unless they're Helen Mirren, then they just look then like they they're, like, look, you know, 40 true. forever. Yeah. That's what I'm going to try fair. to do. Carrie Fisher looks beautiful. Yeah, Carrie Fisher finally... doesn't want you to comment on whether she looks beautiful or yeah, not. Yeah. Well, I, you finally you know started what? the Star Wars this I, weekend, Matthew, so. I did, and I'll tell you one thing. Anybody who complains about that woman aging poorly clearly didn't see any sequence with her face in it because every time that camera would come up and Carrie Fisher's eyes were on screen, I literally could not look away. That woman is just gorgeous. But, you know, I'm an old dude. What do I know? I'm old, <laughs> Ashley. But, yes, I did see it this weekend. Hey, you're still a man, so your opinion matters more than mine anyway. At least that's what the math <laughs> tells us. <laughs> uh, but I'm I'm a fat man, which negates it because, you know. Yeah. You don't. Yeah. O- only old guys with dad bods count, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know. dad um, uh, it's not. Uh, <laughs> you remember how Chris Pratt looked on uh, Parks and Recreation before he was sexy Star-Lord? I've seen like four episodes of that show. Were any of them Chris Pratt episodes? I don't know. Kind Why of. Seen the movie? Kind of. Yeah, oh yeah, her is a good example, but maybe a little bit too much past that. Kind of doughy body, but not 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 ripped. But why is that a dad bod? I don't know. Because apparently dads let themselves go after they've had kids. Dads don't have kids. I'll tell you what. When kids join the when (laughs) kids join the brood, apparently dads let themselves go, as I can attest to. This is the thing that's important. The world is slowly coming to terms. With the fact that being over 30 and possibly overweight doesn't mean the end of you as a human being or a sexual being. And so, slowly, I don't know. slowly as we absorb the fat <laughs> guys, eventually we're going to be able to accept that Jennifer Lawrence, for instance, doesn't need to play all the 45-year-old women at 23. You can actually have a 45-year-old actress play the 45-year-old character, and then Jennifer Lawrence can play 25-year-old women so that when she is 50, she'll still have a job. I'm sorry, you just said when we absorb all the fat guys, which is like the best thing I've heard all night. <laughs> well, you know. I'm just saying. Uh, you know, in the 1980s, if you were a fat guy, you were the villain mm-hmm. and the idiot. Or the comic remember, relief, yeah. Yes. Do you remember Tinker from Roadhouse? A polar bear fell on me. That was every fat guy's role in the 1980s. And I'm not saying that fat guys have it the worst. There are people who have it so much worse. But what it comes down to, it's the year 2015. Fat people exist, even in Esquire, <laughs> is what I'm saying. Rainbow Star. All Rainbow right. Rainbow Star. Ting! <laughs> <laughs> Remember, kids, knowing is let's, roughly 50% uh, of any given conflict. Let's get back to the major spoilers poll of the week. Matthew, right. how has everyone voted this week? <laughs> 129 <laughs> votes in the bag right now. A full third, 33%. Say Captain America Civil War followed closely by Rogue One, mm-hmm. actually, a Star Wars story, barely outstripping Dawn of Justice, which is not the same Dawn from Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, I found. It's a different Dawn um, at 22%. And then the rest of the poll seems to be split pretty low with your yeah. Zoolanders. I think X-Men has about 5% Independence Day. Uh, untitled Jason Bourne movie has zero because it's untitled. Yeah. It had a title. Most and of, nobody looking forward to the Jungle Book, apparently. Although, uh, apparently, I saw from, um, what's his name today, the director. Uh-huh. John uh, Favreau? Yes, Favreau. 
apparently someone tweeted him and said the uh, first trailer for Jungle Book appeared in the movie theater today and people uh-huh. went nuts over how good they liked the trailer. I saw a trailer for Jungle Book when I saw Star Wars. Oh, did you? Because I had I have not seen that yet. So it was the same. It was the same teaser that came out. Oh, on um, the website. At, at, at uh, yeah, at, I think originally aired at D. Oh, D twenty three. Disney yeah, D twenty three. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it had a lot of Scarlett Johansson voiceover. Is why it caught my attention. Ah, okay. Yeah, that's too bad. You I know, do like her voice. I the do. other category on this poll has nine percent. And as I jumped into the comment section, because I did say, hey, if you're going to vote other, do go comment. Most of the people are saying Deadpool is the movie that they want to see. And a couple of Warcraft movies are in there, too. But uh, there's something about that Deadpool movie I want to see. I can't wait. Less than a month away. Less than a month away. The amount of love that Ryan Reynolds clearly has for playing the character kind of makes me almost want to see it. And I'm not a fan of Ryan Reynolds or Deadpool, but uh, I suppose I am a fan of Ryan Reynolds. Damn it. Yeah, there you go. All right, everybody, head, head over to Majorspoilers.com, share your He's vote Van Wilder. and your thoughts in the Major Spoilers you know, poll Billy, of the week. You know, crapping in a bucket almost made me throw up in the movie theater. <laughs> I'll just say that about Van Wilder, just... and we will shall move on. <laughs> That's my new ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen Van Wilder? I don't even know what that is. Okay, it's a Ryan Reynolds okay. movie. Back now in the I'm 90s, never going to see it. <laughs> Ashley, there were these movies. They were these teenage uh, kind of romps kind of things. And Van Wilder was the story of a man who'd been at college for like 15 years and was now being forced to graduate because his father had cut off his trust fund. And it's Ryan Reynolds, and he's playing really smarmy. But there's so he's a Ryan Reynolds. Where, right. Where the bad guy has been bad, so they punish him by feeding him laxatives. And he, he's forced to relieve himself in a garbage in a uh, receptacle. Yes. It, it's, to it's, which it's, he gets yeah, stuck to. So a trash can that he gets stuck to. And it's, you know, it's a big gross out scene. It's, yes. it's yucky. It almost I'll, I'll made me throw Steven. up in the theater. So there you go. It's gross. So, oh, so right. I would recommend watching <laughs> Van Wilder just because there are bits of it that are fun. It's got Cal Penn. So Cal Penn is always a lot of fun. It was almost, I mean, I know, Ashley, you have to run here because uh, we're getting to the end of your time this week, but. It's almost, I wish that they could have mashed the best parts of Van Wilder with the best part, the best part of PCU, uh-huh. because then I think you would have had a really good movie. <laughs> I can see it. that. You know what that movie would have been? What? Animal, Animal House. House. <laughs> I know what Animal House is. That's- Yay! <laughs> Van uh, Wilder is an attempt to recapture Animal House for the 90s. Yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, I want to thank Tweaked Audio for sponsoring this week's episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. Head over to tweakedaudio.com. Check out all of their headphones. So many different styles and designs. So many new things coming in uh, 2016. Uh, Here's the best thing. When you use the checkout code MAJOR, you're going to get 33% off your price. Thanks to tweakedaudio.com for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers podcast. And Ashley, uh, I hate it when you have to run because you've got really cool things to go do. Don't go, Ashley. It's a hard life. Yeah. Don't leave me alone with him. He's mean when you're not here. <laughs> you can follow Ashley at Ashley V. Robinson. You've got right. a brand new Supergirl video out, correct? Uh, I don't because our hard drive took a dump. So oh, uh, if you follow me on Periscope, you oh, can, I, did I did it on Periscope peris- this morning. I did morning. see the Periscope. I saw that and I was like, oh, uh, so apparently she's doing the video. So my mistake there. That's um, Okay. And again, I can't uh, stress enough, go check out the Red Shirt Diaries before Paramount does. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> for Paramount, please Steven. don't go check it out. <laughs> Steven. <laughs> no, it's a really great series. Uh, YouTube.com slash J-A-W-I-I-N. That's the channel you want to work look for. I highly recommend uh, seeing the behind the scenes for this week's episode, too. <laughs> it features a, what I believe is an extended uh, riff in character. I hope it was off the cuff. It was. By Ashley. Just hysterical. <laughs> Because right. when she when she starts free associating, it gets beautiful. It's perfect. Oh. <laughs> all right, Ashley, we will see you back here next week, and you can tell us all about your wonderful adventures. Yay! Be safe. Make good choices. This week we are taking a look at the Woods Volume One by James Tinney and the Fourth, and with art by Michael Dian. Dio, how do you say his last name? I would say Dialinus or Dialinus. There you go, Dialinus. Dialinus. I think it's Dialinus. There we go. October 16th, 2013, 437 students, 52 teachers, 24 additional staff from Bay Point Preparatory High School in suburban Milwaukee, Wisconsin, vanished without a trace. This is their story. Dun, dun. <laughs> Actually, this is the story of 10 of them. Oh, okay. <laughs> Whose world got flipped upside down. Yeah. Oh, sorry. They'd wrong. like to tell us a story. Just sit right there. Yeah. They'll, they'll tell, tell you how, how they become... all died while gasping for air. So yeah. what's the, what is this story about, Matthew? Run me down, because we only get in this first trade four issues of, of the story. Well, in the first issue, it's an average day at the Bay Point Preparatory High School in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Right. And everybody's doing their thing, and, you know, one kid's pranking, and the student body president is student body presidenting and arguing with the principal. And all of a sudden, there's a huge kawump. And nobody knows what it is, but when they look outside... They are no longer seeing the sky of Wisconsin, but a strange alien sky filled with purple trees and with, they may not actually be purple. It may be a color decision. I don't know. But the whole school has basically been transformed and sent to another world. And somebody who you don't expect to be smart points out that it's probably a moon orbiting <laughs> a gas giant. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty good. Yeah, um, it was. <laughs> and then things Things start to come out of the woodwork, and the things start killing, and it, it gets ugly. It does. Except there's a smarty pants kid yes. who found found this giant glyph out in the um, out in the schoolyard, mm -hmm. and he says, "This is an arrow pointing." The title of this uh, volume is "The Arrow." Mm -hmm. uh, it's pointing us into the woods. We must go into the woods and off we go. So they must go off into the woods and he wants to take only the best of the best that the school has to offer. No adults, of course, because adults are dummy dumbs. Well, they are. And Especially we must go. We must go see where this arrow is pointing us. And so he gets yes. all of our principal characters that we're introduced to. And they have five of them go traipsing off to the woods in which they meet horrible things like uh, uh, pheromone. Mosquitoes, six-eyed bears, and uh, space robot monkey, whatever that thing yes. is. He calls him Dr. Robot. Dr. Robot, yes. Sort of a six-eyed monkey creature. It, it really is interesting to see how this goes because whatever it is that uh, – and I can't remember the smart kid's name now. I want to say Tyler. We'll call him Tyler. Okay. Probably not Tyler. But whatever happens, he goes out and it seems that he is getting some sort of message. Mm-hmm. That it is communicating with him and telling him. And when he sets off into the woods, we actually hear it say, test initiated. Yes. So the implication is, and they find evidence that other human beings have been on this world before. 
Yes, they do. And in fact, by the time we reach the end of this for a tra- first trade paperback, uh, they discover a Mayan temple, Mayan mm-hmm. or Aztec temple. I forget which one it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also run into some humans that look like maybe Vikings. And inside the uh, temple, they find writing in a variety of different languages. Mm-hmm. Something strange is going on here. So in the woods from this premise. Mm hmm. This is a very cool kind of story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got everything that you kind of want to see in a TV show. In fact, The Woods has been mm-hmm. picked up for a TV show. What are the odds? Well, I mean, I mean, pretty that's good these really days. What it, that's what it feels like. It feels like a pitch for a TV show. And it feels like it maybe in a very calculated way almost as a pitch for you know, an ensemble TV show, sort of like Glee meets Lost in Space. But here's the problem, though. Yes. There are a lot of problems with these first four issues. I mean, there are, there's the, the gym coach, used to be a former Marine. Mm-hmm. Uh, within issue two, he has already instigated basically martial law with his yes. own jackbooted thugs. And then he kills the principal by quote unquote accident. Right. And uh, his power struggle is overthrown in four issues. To yeah, me, that like... whole storyline just felt super rushed into it. And I was just like, this doesn't seem there's many things that don't seem realistic, including having your school transported to a, another planet. But right. that part just made me not be able to suspend my disbelief about that part of the story. It feels very rushed. And what it really feels like is we don't know how many issues we have. So we want to get as much good stuff in while we can. But also very important about this whole thing where he takes over the school. There are 500 people. Yes. In the school. Yes. We see several injured and one definitely killed. Oh, yeah. We Monster comes through the window, bites leave. her head off. Yeah. We see five people leave, including Adrian uh, leading the people away. That means that there are roughly 490 people in the school. The whole storyline of the coach taking over has like five people in it. Mm-hmm. There's two thugs, one of whom is bad and one of whom is sympathetic with the student body president. There's a girl whom they rough up. And then, of course, there's the principal. There's no real feeling anywhere in these first four issues that there are 500 people. Right. In the book at all. It feels like 20, 25, and that's, you know, based on crowd scenes that we see. Mm-hmm. When you really look at this, it feels like, I don't know, it, it feels like a microcosm. I'd like to have seen some implication, some indication that there's a larger cast in play. Right. Even the big, the big Even scene where they assemble everybody in the, in the gymnasium. With lights. Yeah, it doesn't feel like 500 people. No, it doesn't. And I, I maybe that is the thing that bothers me the most because this the that whole storyline just totally blew it for me. Everything else I can get behind. Yeah. The only other thing that's problematic is the fact that they're on this foreign planet. There's mm-hmm. a young girl, and I don't, I'm guessing this is a bunch of. I mean, it doesn't seem like fresh, it doesn't seem like a high school mm-hmm. because there's a really young kid there, the girl that gets killed by the monster. And she's kind of freaking uh, out because these little things are attacking and, and it's like, okay, let's go into our homeroom. Let's stand there. And we got a bunch of characters standing around and suddenly this monster comes through the window, kills mm-hmm. this girl in big, bloody, gory fashion, mm-hmm. biting her in half and chewing on her. 
And like panel two, it's like, so what are we going to poop in this week? It's like yeah. there is like no PTSD uh-huh. of of what is going on here. I mean, yes, there is the passing thing from the um, um, school president, uh, the mm-hmm. student council president, where she's like, hey, people are stress eating and we're going to run yeah. out of food soon. But I mean, in real life, when you see something horrific happen, especially around young people, they freak the F out. Yeah. And again, if you're talking about, um, say, okay, you have one guy, let's say he has a whole football team. He has 20 kids. They're still going to have 400 other children involved. And I understand that what they're trying to do here, I feel like that whole plot line would have been much better served by actually playing to the, the, perspective that we have that larger cast Mm -hmm. giving it more room and giving it time to actually play itself out to to develop and to actually spend more than half an issue and they actually say at one point it's only been two days and he's already got the football team controlling everything even in story they hang a lampshade on the fact that boy this sure seems to be happening really fast yeah okay we're gonna move on now I, I don't know. There's just parts of this that are super rushed. I mean, I would expect this. Yeah. I mean, it turns into Lord of the Flies in this school, like really quickly, 20 minutes after they land. It feels like it does. And another, it's, it's another example of not really playing well with the scope of what they, what they seem to be saying and what they seem to be doing. Having, having the, the, the basic story focus on five or 10 kids is solid. That's yes. a good decision. Yes. Uh, but once those 10 kids are isolated and, you know, taken to center stage, there's no expectation that there are other kids even involved. Mm-hmm. I don't, there are children who appear with lines more than once who I don't think were even introduced oh, yeah, the, to the backstage kids. Yeah. The stage nerds. And of course this is all happening at the same time as Adrian and his group are being chased by monsters. There's, an unknown space and time thing because Adrian and his group take off and have traveled for like a whole day. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden uh, the girl catches up with them and she's like, yep, we caught him. Okay. Now I'm going to run back. It's like they're, you know, a hundred yards from the school. They might it be. seems like, I don't know. It, it just, but, there is a cool concept thing going on that I'm, I'm going to read the second and third. And I think the fourth trade is now out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and read them because I want to see – I'm a big sucker for the mystery, right? Right. And it's it's almost like, okay, when we – is this going to be a series where they're constantly drawing out that no one knows what's going on and they're just struggling in this strange world almost like Lost in Space? Or what was that uh, TV show from back in the day uh, when we were kids where the family went into the pyramid and then there was like a convergence and then they wound up in a parallel universe or something. Land of the Lost. No, 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 not Land of the Lost. This was like a primetime TV show. I don't know then. Oh, it's it's, the pyramid. Maybe that's what it's called, but it was a wackadoo show. Uh Um, Far out space nuts. Yeah, far out space nuts. If this is going to be that kind of thing that I'm probably not going to be interested in in the long term, but a short term Mm -hmm. thing, the premise is really solid. Yes. The premise is actually pretty fascinating. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of follow through. There's a bit where, you know, Calder is bitten by an alien creature 
and spends half an issue with his arm swelling up and then his arm suddenly bursts yes. and explodes and then nothing comes of it. He doesn't seem to be encumbered. He doesn't seem to be hurt. And they actually stop. And she's like, I need to clean your wound. He's like, nah, it doesn't hurt anymore. There, it, it doesn't feel like that has any lasting consequences. And you'd mm-hmm. think that it could. You'd think that it might. I mean, his arm literally bursts open yeah, and does. explodes yeah. with little alien bugs. Fuzzy creatures. Yeah, it's, just, it's gross. And he's just like, you know, the next panel, he's just like, yeah, my arm's all right. And then he's he's immediately fighting one of the big giant uh, Pooh Bears. No, he's not. It's the guy who breaks his leg is walking around punching the Pooh Bears. He goes with the the party splits and they go to the pyramid. And he's in there and he's like, oh, yeah, here's uh, this is this type of pyramid. And, hey, my mom bought me history books and all this kind of stuff. Um, I like the characters. I mean, I think each character has something a little weird going on with them. Each has their Mm -hmm. own little mystery backstory that we need to learn about. Um, So I'm like, that's cool. That's that's all right. But man, things are just really compressed that I don't care for. And it doesn't feel like this is moving at a natural pace. And I think that is the biggest yeah. complaint that I have about the woods in this first volume is that the pacing is way off. Yeah, there's a lot that's kind of almost almost crammed in. Mm-hmm. Some of this stuff feels very forced in terms of. Not necessarily what they're doing, because, again, I think that all of the stuff that happens is kind of neat and kind of makes sense. I feel like there's, in certain places, character conflict for the sake of having character conflict. Maybe. There's points where people show up and they argue because it seems like the thing to do. Mm. There are a lot of characters who even, you know, even named characters that we spend time getting interrupted or, or getting acquainted with feel very much like ciphers Mm. you know the the girl who shows up and she's like yeah i lived off the grid with my parents and i know all this i like her i like i like that i like that about the character development and finding more about those characters backstories i like her as a character everybody Mm -hmm. has their everybody has their role in this story and i think that tinian has pegged them as this person is doing this this person's role is this this person's role is the betrayer we have Mm -hmm. to get rid of the adults yep so that this is, you know, I, I understand all that. It just is, I don't know, there's something about it that just doesn't feel right. So I, I think it's just that the execution of the ideas feels like they don't really have enough breathing room. Mm-hmm. You know, it, we we talk about that whole arc with the coach. We talk about the arc where they show up and all of a sudden, hey, we're it's a ziggurat, guys. What are we going to do? While at the same time, we've got people being uh, attacked in the woods by things that may or may not be hobbits. Yeah. There's a lot of things happening in a very short space of time. Even if this four issue were maybe six issues, I feel like it would be better. Maybe. Well, I think the whole. You don't usually hear me say this, but maybe, you know, splitting the arc differently to where it took eight issues to get to the point where we are at the end of issue four. I think might have served the story a little better. Maybe it just feels like over the course of 12 issues, I could see the rise and fall of the uh, school dictatorship Mm -hmm. because I think it needs to build slowly. You need to, you need to pull off this reveal. You know, there's some, there's a lot of standing around and explaining. There's this one scene, uh, this one panel where they're talking about how the coach has become this dictator 
Well, why isn't the principal doing something about it? Oh, he thinks he's already done something. He, the coach wrote him a speech that he read, and now he's just sitting up in his office totally yeah. oblivious to everything. Joe, don't tell in this case, I think would have been yep. a really good thing. Now, granted, that would have used up more pages, would have used up more time. But I mm-hmm. think a, 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 a plot like that needs to rise and then fall faster than a day and a half or two days that that the story is taken. I mean, literally, they are out for maybe two days and there's been the school uprising. And yeah, I, <laughs> I think that the passage of time is uncertain because true there there's a point where somebody says he hasn't slept well for the last few days. Oh, maybe but it doesn't. It doesn't feel like several days have passed in both locations. Yeah. You know, it's another breakdown where I think that the layout of the story in an attempt to make sure that everything exciting got in there to make sure that the story had lots of bite, had lots of cool stuff and lots of neat ideas all thrown in. I feel like maybe they're kind of fighting each other. Mm. You know, even if you're looking at the parallel, if we say that it took place over the case of, of four days. It doesn't feel like Adrian's group in the wilderness spends four days out no. running around. Do you think it would be better to put in like day one, like a little caption somewhere? This is day one. Cause you know, it starts out at the beginning and it says, um, you know, it's like taking place as soon as the, um, what's his name heads to the, uh, to the, uh, monument thing. And then it says, Hey, mm-hmm. let's go back 25 minutes. Right. That's day one. Well, how about say here's day two, here's day three, or here's, always, you know, let's jump ahead and say, this is day one. This is day seven. Yeah. I'm always a, a sucker for that because I feel like those first of all, indicate that they have had to break it down and figure out this is the passage of time in order mm-hmm. for it to work. And I feel like it's a real easy way uh, when done kind of organically to show that the story is, even if you don't have space, you don't have the pages necessary to show four days of time. You can actually show that time jump and have a clear bit of, okay, we were just on day three. Now it's day seven. Things may have happened. Maybe the coach has taken over with his evil empire that I think can work as well, but there's no real indicator of solid time passage from issue one to issue four. Right. And there, there are a lot of sequences that suffer from being almost maybe subtle to the point of too much. The stabbing when the coach kills the, the principal suffers, suffers from a real case of unclear blocking so that when you get to that final panel, you're like, Oh, that's what happened. But I mean, you see him pick up the screwdriver. Yes. And then you see several panels yes. that aren't really sure. Yeah, that are, right. And then they pull back for the wide shot. So it's not even like it was a discretion thing where they didn't want to show him getting stabbed mm-hmm. because they pull back and show him with a, a bloody necktie yeah. and a, yeah, a know, and screwdriver yeah. sticking out of his chest. Yeah. What did you think of the art? I kind of like the art. I, I feel like it has, it has a lot of uh, personality to it. Mm-hmm which really helps with the main characters because some of them have very similar names. I think there's a Corbin and a Cameron or something. I forget. There uh, there's a Karen. There's a tsunami. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got uh, Adrian, Calder, Adrian ben. Maria, John yeah. Calder and Corbin is what I was ben, thinking. Of. Isaac. Yeah. There are a lot of characters who you can look immediately and you're like, okay, that's her. Right. 
And that's the nice, that's really good. I mean, especially because everybody has their own quote unquote costume. You know, Mm -hmm. um, one of them is wearing, you know, typical uh, teenager clothes. And then Mm -hmm. um, because Karen is wearing the field hockey uh, uniform. And Mm -hmm. so she stays in that through this whole thing. So the minute you see her, you're like, oh, okay, there's Karen. Or Mm -hmm. this one's really tall. That's the um, student council president. Mm -hmm. And I like that. Those are very well-defined characters. Yeah. I think that visually, honestly, the art helps to overcome some of the issues with the pacing when it Mm -hmm. can. Mm -hmm. Because there are points where you're like, okay, I definitely, I get this from, from the visual that something has happened that the story either the narration or the dialogue really hasn't made clear for us. Yeah. It, it does a little more heavy lifting, I think, than maybe, maybe it should have to there. I don't know. There's still some stuff that's a little wacky because the little girl who gets eaten, this mm-hmm. is a high school. It tells us on page one, this is a high school. And yet there's a girl that's probably 10. The girl that gets oh, eaten. I'd, she doesn't I'd look like a 13, 14. She is, she, no, she is. Go look yeah. on page uh, 24 where there are kids that are literally half the height of the other kids that look like they are children. Well, teenagers are in many ways. Um, I mean, come on. They don't look like they belong in high school. Let's just put it that I, way. I have an 11 year old. And how tall is she? She's five foot four. No, she's taller than that. Nah, I don't think so. Maybe five foot six. Oh, I could go she's, for five seven. Yeah, sure. She's she's not five seven. She's you know large, but not giant. But yeah, I I definitely think that. Well, even if you look at your average high school, you got four years. Let's say she's a True. newbie, newbie yeah, freshman. She can, I mean, she could be someone like my son, who's a who's short uh, for yeah. his size. He's about half the size. Sure, I could buy that, but there just seems to be too many of them running around. The tiny, quiet wallflower about to get eaten by an alien monster. Yeah, I guess. I, so, like I said, I do want to read the rest of these uh, volumes that have been collected. Mm-hmm. Um, this is from Boom Studios. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Is this something you would recommend? Do you like this? Do you not like this? I don't hate it. I just I don't feel an immediate connection to the material. I feel like a lot of this feels somewhat familiar uh, there are a lot of characters who feel like stock characters mm. and the interactions you know like, like the bit where the coach is suddenly going wow i'm a coach and now i'm in charge <laughs> you kind of know where that's going yeah you, you you have to know where that's going you know that it's going to lead to bad things in the confrontation that we get and i'm really fine with a story giving us something to look forward to but then there's also that question of when you can predict it. If you know what's going to happen next, it's not necessarily as much fun. I can definitely see that this is something that you could pick up for, you know, a television series. Oh, sure. You could do you could do 13 episodes out of the first five or six issues of this oh, yeah. book. Oh, I'm no, this sure. is a this this is a this is the first season in four four issues. This is the first season. You think? I think this is the build. Oh yeah, because you this or at like least the, the mid season. Yeah, let's say mid season. Yeah. You build up to then the point to where they find the break. Yeah. Oh my God! They found a ziggurat. Ah, Vikings! Uh, there's Vikings and highwaymen with markings and stuffs. I mean, it's. I don't think I, I would. It's kind I, of crazy cool, man. I don't think I would recommend it. I wouldn't not recommend it. 
it's not something that I walk away from and say, yeah, don't read that. That was not good. Right. Yeah. It's something you wouldn't slap it out of someone's hand. No. If you saw him no, reaching certainly. for it. Okay. Well, maybe yours. Because <laughs> you're mean. <laughs> I think if you're Don't into, the, if you're into the flyers, I would say if you kind of like morning glories, mm-hmm. because there's some mystery high school stuff going on. Yeah. And you like some space horror. Some, some Stephen King or some Arthur. Yeah some, Sti- yeah. some Stephen King. I could see this as, as being in that vein. Then I think it's There's, I think it's interesting. I just the the first four issues don't feel right, but I th- I mean it's an ongoing series, so obviously they're doing something right. So mm-hmm. maybe it gets better. Well, and you know that's the thing. It's a question of excuse me, I'm yawning for oh, like forty five seconds. Yeah, sorry. It is. Well, it's all right. It's it's you know Tuesday night. I'm up late, but more importantly, it's a series that has a lot of ideas and a lot of things and a lot of places that it could go. And that's something fascinating. Even if it plays out and it's not entirely successful in what it does, it's, it's got a lot of different places it could go. I mean, if you ask yourself, there are 500 kids, if they're going to be on this planet for 30 days, that's potentially hundreds of stories that you could right. do. Right. Yeah. You could go and see what's happening with the school cafeteria lady. Mm-hmm. What what's her story? Yeah, when when does Piggy get killed? Yes. When do we when does put the giant a, rock put a roll on over on top of him? Yes. Yeah, exactly. When does Robin Williams' character start a, a revolution? <laughs> and oh, Captain, my Captain! And then and Wilson which, from House shoots himself because he can't play puck in the school play. <laughs> Wait, when did the Lost movies. Boys? When did the Lost Boys uh, enter this picture? Exactly. Kiefer Sutherland shows up. Not and then those Lost Boys. Both of the Corys interact. <laughs> You know how the that Frog is, Brothers. Um, okay, <laughs> so uh, for people that have been screaming at their iPods or their yes. mobile devices, whatever you listen to your stuff on, Other World yes. is the name of the American sci-fi fiction series. Ran for eight episodes from January to March of 1985 on CBS. Tells the story of the Sterling family who go inside the Great Pyramid of Giza during a 10,000 year conjunction. Giza. <laughs> they uh, they exit to find themselves on a planet called Thel, which may or may not be in an alternate universe, a parallel universe. Each, each of the zones that they're in are, are governed by a different group of people and have a different style. So you might be in a sci-fi zone. You might be in a Western zone. You might be in a, might be in one of those Star Trek planets based on a Busby Berkeley musical. Yeah. Only it lasted eight eight episodes. I thought it lasted longer than that. on Broadway. No. So for those people who have been yelling other world at your, uh, your devices, whatever those may be. Hopefully you're listening to them with some tweaked audio headphones after you've clicked on the uh, Majorspoilers.com slash giveaway For those uh, of you yelling entered. Land of the Lost, I'm with you, baby. I'm I am sure you. you can buy this Other World series or Land of the Lost series uh, at Amazon through that link, hobby. that Amazon link at Majorspoilers.com. We thank you for your support. I really want to thank all of our Major Spoilers VIPs. Without them, we we're not able to do this. And I'm hoping that in 2016, we delivered, Ma- Matthew, over 600 yes. hours of entertainment last year through these podcasts. Which means that by the numbers, at least 20% was you saying, let me ask you this. And 5% was me saying Framistat. Yes. And think about that. that. Think about that. You could do $5 a month and get over 600 hours of entertainment in 2016. (laughs) That's 10 Framistats to a dollar. That's, you know what? That's right. You tell me that what movie you can go see where you can get 10 hours of content for a dollar or a TV 
series that you can get for I mean, you can't even buy an episode of your favorite TV show for less than a a dollar ninety nine. Yeah. So consider becoming a VIP. Please help us out. I would really appreciate it. Plus, you get access to cool stuff. You do over at members.majorspoilers.com. That's where you can go to find up, find out things. Matthew, I want to thank you again for being a part of the show this week and for everything that you've done over the last almost 10 years now that we've been doing this. Eight years for eight years for the podcasts. Um, and 10 years for uh, 10 years for major spoilers in, in October. Yep. For uh, me. And I want to thank Ashley again for uh, coming in. Sorry she had to go, but man, she does so many cool things. She's right? always running she off so to do something. Projects. She has a wonderful life. I always life. feel really lazy <laughs> when I hear about Ashley. You should. Schedule. You should feel bad. <laughs> It'll be like, it, it's Tuesday. <laughs> Ashley's in Portland. I'm like, wow. I had trouble getting out of the van this morning. <laughs> that wraps I up didn't for this even issue. want to get out of the Thank bathtub. you so much for listening, being part of the Major Spoilers, spoilers experiment, uh, Experience. Well, I'll get this Ex- out. The Major thanks. Spoilers Experiment. Yes. Thanks again to Comic Bento for sponsoring this week's episode. Remember to use the promo code SPOILERS in all caps at ComicBento.com for $5 off. We're going to be back next week because we're going to be taking a look at the Mud Pack because we brought it up and then you all demanded it. And we know that mud you love pack. comics and we do too. And we will talk with you soon. Bad Dick's revision of Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler! What a major spoiler! Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler What a major spoiler It's like a man of iron Might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read upon all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fine Be in the Middle East With a king sign throwing soldier What a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2009. Major Spoilers Podcast, copyright 2010. Major Spoilers is copyright 2011. Major Spoilers is copyright 2012. Major Spoilers is copyright 2013. Major Spoilers is copyright 2014. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. This podcast is copyright 2016 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.